0: Thanks for tuning in to part two of this important episode on race. As I mentioned in the introduction to this episode, I called on my friend Faye to help me find people to interview and questions to ask. What follows is some candid conversation with 12 individuals on this topic of race. These weren't always easy conversations, but that's okay. It's not pleasant to recognize the disparity in the country that we all love. But what makes this country so amazing is that we can have these conversations together. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Faye.
1: Welcome to All Town USA.
0: First, we sat down with David and Patterson, George Terry, and, and Jamarco down, Walker. And we asked them like to share their know? thoughts about racism no and their thoughts on current social justice issues. Here's David.
2: From my perspective, I look at this as we've had systemic racism, slavery, whatever you want to call it, since we came to this country. We have always seen where we were not treated as well as the whites. Right now, I really feel that there is such bitterness, it's almost hatred that's going on in this country there needs to be a conversation about, how can we conquer this divide? How can we bring all of our people uh, together? And right now, it seems almost insurmountable. Until America conquers its race problem, we're going to always have issues. Dr. King used to say that, you know, there's, uh, as long as any, any Black person is, is being treated unjustly, That affects all of America. And ever since they told us in 1787 that we as black people were three-fifths of a person, we've been behind the eight ball. We've been behind the eight ball and we're still trying to catch up. But until we get to the point where we have the ability to be able to be treated decently, you know, uh, Blake was held by his shirt and shot seven times in his back. The white boy, Walked down the street shooting black people. They did nothing to him except they gave him a drink of water. So, I mean, you guys can take, take it from there. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of disgruntled with that. Uh, I had some hope, but uh, uh, we need a lot of help. We've come a long way, but we, you know, Dr. King, you say, you know, Lord, we ain't what we ought to be. We ain't what we want to be. But thank God we ain't what we used to be. Now that may be true, but we still have a long ways to go.
0: And here's George.
3: I started listening to different terms. The American dream. Well, for black people, that's almost meaning American survival. Our parents worked just to survive, not get ahead. They just wanted to make sure that they could feed their families. So when you look at Certain terms that, that they use, they mean totally a different thing, you know, totally different. I think as I grew up, though, I was fortunate enough to know what the American dream was, or at least I could recognize it when I seen it. Of course, the same way I could recognize racism when I see it. I'm not an optimist. I'm thinking that I know in my lifetime, there's not going to be no racism. I think as long as you have the haves and you have the have nots, you're going to have a racism. And so if we can get ahead, you know, there are some people that are trying to let us get ahead. They're giving us the opportunity to be bosses and be over things. but. Until that happens a lot, I can't see where
1: racism is going to change. Next is Jamarco Walker. Jamarco grew up in Alton, but after serving in the military, he now lives with his family in Georgia.
4: In the military, we were all, we called ourselves brothers, right? Of course there's racism that exists, but nobody would come out and be uh, blatantly racist because of the, uh, because the EO, you know, everything, the equal opportunity, and, you know, um, nobody just come out and be directly racist. But when I was in Afghanistan, an Australian, he wanted to know about uh, racism. He said, hey, man, is the United States really racist? And I said, yeah. He was like, yeah, because it doesn't exist over here like that. So we don't understand it. We, wanted, we want you to uh, explain to us what it is to be black. And I said it's hard to explain. You just have to be black because it's like trying to explain if a person was blind his whole life, right? And you try to describe the color blue to him, you can never do it because he's never seen the color before. So, you know, uh, it's really difficult to convey to another individual uh, how it is to be black. Like, for instance, I, I'm in Georgia right now. Of course, you know that Georgia's Yes, it's down south. It's pretty racist, right? So two miles away from here, the school system is terrible, right? But I live in Evans, Georgia. So we pay $50,000 more for our kids to go to a predominantly white school so they can get a better curriculum in class because you want your kids to do the best as they can be, you know, the best possible. And so, you know, it's just, everything is just not fair, you know what I mean, for the impoverished and the racism. You know, it just kind of, Kind of terrible out there still, you know. And I mean, it's it's gonna take years to get rid of racism. And still, I'll probably never go anywhere because there's always gonna be ignorant people out there, so it's just kind of crazy.
2: You know, uh, if you leave the children alone, children just, just want to play. The little children, they just want to get together. It's the parents, it's the parents that come in and say, Hey, 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 you can't be out there playing with. with uh, with George over there. So, you know, and that's the sad thing. And it it perpetuates itself. It's cyclical, one cycle after another when they're doing this. You know, Dr. King said, you know, uh, the thing that hurts us most is the good white people won't say nothing. The good white people, they won't come out and speak up. We, we don't want to destroy this, this country. We don't want to destroy the economy. We just want to make it live up to a more perfect union, as the preamble in the Constitution says. That's all we want to do, make it better. Just give us a chance.
0: I asked David how he finds the strength to keep fighting.
2: It's just like having good health. We have to fight and exercise until the day we die, if we want good health, and that's the same way with, with us trying to overcome racism. You know, I don't know why we had to go through all of this, why we had to suffer so much. Frederick Douglass said in 1857, he was asked that question, but well, why, why we got to keep going through all of this? And Douglass said in 1857, if there is no struggle, there is no progress. Those who profess to favor freedom yet deprecate agitation are those who want the crops without plowing up the ground. They want the rain without the thunder and the lightning. They want the ocean without the awful roar of its mighty waters. It may be a moral one, or it may be a physical one, but it must be a struggle. Man may not get all that he pays for in this world, but he certainly must pay all that he does get. We have always faced a lot of obstacles. I myself have seen so many things to come my way, but it's always been the God that's inside of us, the God that's inside of us that has allowed us to keep on keeping on. In spite of whatever we had to deal with, we knew we had to, we had to keep on for God tells us, you keep doing your best and he'll do the rest until the day that God calls us all home. Until that day, he says, well, what have you done? We keep striving and trying to do the best that we can. And when you've done all you can, you just stand.
3: Amen. Amen and amen and amen.
1: the struggle is still over. Next, Stephanie and I spoke with my sister, Tana and Greg O'Bronz. Well, of course, Tana is black and Greg is white. And their two children, Tana, who is 29, and Jalen, who is 23. They live just outside of Columbus, Ohio. And even though they grew up in a fairly diverse community,
5: they still face racism. I do remember Jalen and Tehanna in sports, though, um, of people calling them and things like that. Uh-huh. And, uh, so that was it was kind of rough watching them go through that.
6: I remember Jalen one time asked, "What? What? What is he? What should he be? You know, black or white?" And I just told him, "You're supposed to be the best of both worlds. That's all. You're just the best of both worlds."
1: Here is Jalen and Tahanna.
7: It was it was weird because either you're too black or you're too white. There's never, like, in between for each group. I'm not necessarily black. I'm not getting treated the same way being black. I'm not treated as as one of the others. I'm not treated the same as everybody else. But, I mean, honestly, sports is what kept everything balanced because I had no one ever really – like, when you played football, no one pictured you as – at least to me, no one pictured me as, oh, you're black, oh, you're white. No, I got to play as for being who I wanted to be playing sports. So I, I just enjoy that.
8: To be honest, I really didn't notice any difference of how I was being treated versus anybody else until it was about junior, senior year. And then it was more apparent. It wasn't even mo- much of the school. It was the students or different parents, how they viewed Black children versus the white kids. You will see, like, different parents where they'll be like, oh, yeah, she can come over, but they watch me the extra close.
0: I asked to Hannah how being followed in stores you know, makes you know. her feel.
8: To be honest, it's normal now. Like when I don't see somebody, especially when I go to Walmart, if I don't see somebody behind it's like, oh, okay, maybe they're used to my face. But now if I do see somebody, I go down two or three rows and someone's still behind me, it's, it's really normal. Like, it's like, oh, hey. Like, I mean, I, I notice you, you notice me, hi. Kinda, and just keep on walking. I'm gonna keep on shopping. And a lot of them follow you all the way to the register. And at that point, that's where it's like, okay, you know I'm buying. So, yeah. So it's really just, yeah. I mean, you if they want to follow, that's just my mindset is if you want to follow, I mean, I'm not doing nothing I shouldn't be doing. And if anything, you're going to see me and my daughter dance in the, the aisles before you see us do something we shouldn't do.
0: I don't know about you, but it makes me sad and upset to know that being followed when shopping in a store simply because of the color of your skin is something that can become normal.
1: We asked Jalen and Tahana, what are your views on the Black Lives Matter movement?
7: So I think I think it's a great thing, having a lot of Black and white kids and Latinos, everybody coming together to help support one cause that needs to be fixed. And honestly, as much as I feel bad for all the rioting and all that violence, I don't necessarily agree with it. But sometimes like, we took a peaceful meal, Mm -hmm. and you guys don't want to take it?
8: That is actually very encouraging, seeing people from all races. And then also, I don't know if you noticed, but there's been a lot of like 60, 70 year olds that are white and black, and they're coming together saying like, we've been fighting this for years. So that's reassuring. The only part that does is it seems like every time we kick it up to a notch, and it's like a little calm, it comes in with a flood of I guess confederate flags and a, a flood of people trying to basically bash everything that we just accomplished. Like we just got past this and now we're going to move on to the second one. And then there's someone there to be like, oh, well, we're going to take this away because y'all, whatever the case may be, we, we said black lives matter or something like that. And it'll be something little like that where they, they take it and run with it. Mm-hmm. So they like basically crap on everything we just formed to me. That's how it felt.
0: We then asked to Hannah about her views and experiences with law enforcement.
8: Yes, when I get pulled over, I do automatically, as soon as I see them behind me, I will start dialing my dad and put him on speakerphone. And I have actually noticed, like, a change in their face, a change in their personality. The, the voice, like, the tone that they use with me will completely change the moment my dad says, oh, I'm Greg Overance, and that's my daughter. Like, you can you can see like a whole like different mast and lifted and they're like, Oh, well, I pulled you over for this. But before when you first pulled me over, you didn't have no answer. You didn't have no reason. Then my dad talked and you like, Oh, well, I pulled you over because you're tagged or I pulled you over because you was slightly speeding. But before you wasn't telling me nothing. So
0: it's because they can hear he's white or they know him and they know he's white. Right. I believe
8: that they hear it in his voice that wow. he's white. Right. Yeah. But I think it's they hear the tone from him over the speakerphone because you will see like a whole like it's like a whole mask that just got lifted off their face. Like before they was all like mugging and, you know, like had a mean look. Then as soon as he gets on the phone, it's like, oh, well, I'm going to let you go with a warning or I'm going to give you a ticket. And I can't honestly say that it would have played out the same way if I didn't call him.
0: I asked her if she had any thoughts on how to bridge this apparent divide.
8: I think it would take more understanding. As far as the police, I low-key, like, honestly, I feel split about it because I have met good cops on one side and then bad cops on another. I've also met black cops that I've been just as scared of as it was a white man. And I've been, I met white cops that, I mean, a white cop then took me home and I didn't have to stress or worry nothing about it. So there's, you know, I've seen it from both sides. So with the cop situation, I am kind of split down the middle
5: no administration has done anything to correct the situation throughout the last 40 years 50 years (laughs) Um, and they all want to blame each other for this and defunding the police department is not the answer you need the police department trying to figure out a way to get better people in the police department and and holding the police officers accountable for the same laws that they hold the citizens accountable for is the other way that they're going to solve this issue they have to if if you strangle someone if you shoot someone um you should be held accountable for that if you murder somebody it doesn't matter if you have a blue uniform on or not if you murder someone you need to be held accountable There there were just as many. Black people being killed by white officers back in the seventies, eighties, nineties, and two thousands, and there are now, and not, no one's done anything about it. And now they just want to point fingers and say, "This is your problem," or "This is your problem." And you can figure out the economy, try to figure out how to balance it, how to make, how to bring up the income of the lower and middle income people, and reduce the income of the wealthy. The society as a as a whole has got to be fixed. It's it's not. They can't politicize it. They can't use it as a, a, a st- stomping ground for their for their political campaign because neither side is right right now.
6: Like the church I go to now, it's a handful of us Blacks that go there. And they asked me to be an elder. And not because I'm Black, but because I treated every man the same. And that's, that's what all I expect from anybody is we all treat each other with consideration, respect, Um, and try to be understanding if we don't understand. Just ask the question. And I'm good at asking, I will ask in a minute. You know, like, well, who is this what you like, what you don't like? You know, why not? Help me understand it.
8: As far as everybody else, like the community, I feel like if we opened and wasn't so shut off to what we don't experience or what we haven't seen ourselves, that it could move a little farther. Like, just listening to somebody's story and taking it into consideration instead of being like, oh, well, if you just listen to the cops, they won't do that because that's not everybody's story. So I feel like we just went in more understanding and instead of trying to persuade everybody to our side, just listen to me. Like, I don't need you to be on my side. I just want you to listen. So if you listen that, you know, that makes a little crack and that'll allow something else to get in there. But that's just all I'm asking. Like, for my friends and stuff that I see... Just listen. You don't got to get up and march with me. You don't got to say the same things I'm saying. Just listen to what I'm saying and don't discredit what I have said. And that's it.
1: Next is my son, Lorenzo Taylor, who was born and raised in Alton. At the time of this interview, he was a law enforcement officer on the U.S.-Mexico border in Texas. And I asked my son, Lorenzo, when was the first time that you remember racism?
9: Um, I would say my first incident was actually when I was in middle school. I was at a football game and a classmate of mine, uh, that was the first time I was called the N-word. <laughs> yeah. And was, I'll never forget, we were at a, uh, a middle school football game. Those those one of the first times. It wasn't the last time. Been called that plenty of times when I stayed actually in DC when I worked in Virginia. Most recently I got called one here while I was at work. Is it infuriating? Yes, it is. Just because the real definition of that is ignorance. So therefore you're ignorant for calling me that. I've dealt with it as a parent already living in an area where you're the minority. It's different. People really don't take the time to know people anymore. They take preconceived notions off of doing their own research or, you know, initiating a conversation with somebody that's different than them.
0: We asked him about his thoughts on Black Lives matter and, and matter, matter and some of the common misconceptions there are about Black Americans.
9: I have coworkers, you know, that had different views on Black Lives Matter or what necessarily African Americans, why they're so upset, you know, with killings and, you know, everything that's going on. And I had to have a conversation with them. It just didn't start today. It just didn't start last week. It just didn't start last year, five years. This has been going on since the, in my opinion, the beginning of the country. It was like, so what do they want? Reparations? Because I don't understand, but think about a 200, 300 year head start when it comes to land. Everybody knows land equals money. Land equals land development. That equals businesses. That equals, equals revenue. I mean, that equals agriculture you know, equals everything. So if you're not able to own land for 200, 300 years, and other people are, and it's passed down through the family, and these generational wealth continues, then you're already at a disadvantage. And, you know, I've been able to have a, a breakthrough through some, because the common perception is African Americans are lazy. African Americans, they don't get married. African-Americans don't take care of the kids. Um, that's a stigma. And it's a stigma portrayed by what's a media or social beliefs or, you know, whatever, but that's not the case.
0: I asked him how he thought we got this way.
9: Let's say we have a, a shooting that occurs go- and there's a crime of a different demographic and the way that media portrays it compared to a crime, how they portray it an African-American. You know, little subtle things like that creates doubt. It creates, you know, different ideologies, and that's why, in my opinion, the country is, you know, kind of taking a spiral because with all the technology, we are less uh, impersonal. We don't want to know our neighbors. Like, I'm in an area where, you know, I know maybe one or two neighbors <laughs> compared to growing up. My parents knew everybody that was in the neighborhood. We knew all the kids in the neighborhood. Uh, but now things have changed uh, a lot. You know, the cost of living's up, so there's no longer kids have to take care of themselves because both parents have to work in order to provide and sustain.
0: We asked him how he thinks we can overcome this issue.
9: It's going to be interpersonal conversations. This is going to be one-on-one conversations, like trying to have it in a group setting May not be the best sometimes. For me, it took for me to talk to two or three coworkers at a time to, you know, we didn't agree on everything, uh, we didn't see eye to eye on everything, but we had a mutual understanding and mutual respect uh, based on our beliefs of growing up. You know, some of the people I've talked to have never even left their their home city, <laughs> so I mean, for them, this is that's all they know is what they see on TV. It's just really just getting to know people one-on-one, the old-fashioned way, uh, off social media and actually introducing yourself or actually just holding a, a conversation. It doesn't have to be a deep conversation, but maybe one interaction can change somebody's mind for the rest of their life.
1: Then I asked my son to talk about the current concerns concerning the law enforcement. What did he think about it?
9: I would have to say with the current culture and situation going on around law enforcement, it bothers me because I am an African-American male, I'm a man first. I'm African-American second. And I'm a law enforcement officer myself. So in certain situations, I can see both sides. It bothers me (laughs) because, you know, I can be placed in one of those situations where it could be my life or, you know, my partner's life. And, you know, the vast majority of law enforcement officers that i ran into from different agencies they all want the same thing they want to go home to their family you know at the end of the night just like the civilians that they police want to go home to their families at the the end of the night i've been in uniform i've been racially profiled driving to work driving home from work my wife has been racially profiled unfortunately as we make a joke like if a uh with amongst my friends, why do we tense up when we pass uh, law enforcement and they jump out behind us because it's that fear of not knowing what that interaction is gonna be like. Even though we following the speed limit, have our seat belt on, we're following all the rules that are set. And yet, you know, I've been pulled over for accusations, bogus accusations, and once they realize, you know, that, oh, he's in law enforcement too, then it's kind of like, oh, sorry about that, sir. Um, then they give me a bogus excuse like, oh, I can't read your license plate state. Uh, it's frustrating. And I can understand why people are angry and they are outraged. I do not condone rioting. I do not condone looting. I do not condone hurting others. I do condone of freedom of speech and having your voice heard just because we may disagree that doesn't mean that you come over here and attack me because of that and that's for both sides but it is frustrating it is um, heartbreaking you know in these cases where a family member will not come home whether it's a law enforcement officer that lost his life or a civilian don't fight your battles right there at the stop, fight it in the court, as frustrated as sometimes you have to swallow your pride in order to make it to another day, and I've been there.
0: Sometimes you have to swallow your pride in order to make it to another day. Again, it makes me sad and upset that this is a reality for some. He then shared his views on how we can combat this issue.
9: Uh, The best way to, in my opinion, to police the community is to be from that community, Mm -hmm. to where you can understand how they talk to each other, how you can understand how they stand. It's not a threatening matter. That's just how we stand. You know, I might say something to you. You might think it's aggressive, but no, that's just how we talk. Uh, That's just how we communicate. And for them, the lack of not being able to relate to the culture of whatever uh, community you're policing is a big issue. I wish more, you know, African-Americans would get into law enforcement, you know, so we can stop Seeing these scenarios over and over again, and having these situations happen over and over again, because I believe that's that's very important. It's hard to relate to something you never experienced before. If we have that mind frame of why care, we're going to continue to have the same problem. And it might not affect you, but it might affect your children. It might affect your grandchildren. It might affect your friends. It might affect someone you love. So that's why it's important for us to bridge these gaps that we have right now.
1: And finally, you'll hear from Patricia Ingram, Carson Ingram, Robert Armstead, and Lee Bornham.
6: We've all experienced this from uh, growing up in the 50s, 60s, uh, with systemic racism. Um, we've seen change, but not enough. And it's so much racism and hatred and bigotry. Um, it's just alive and well. And the more people are willing to take their heads out of the sand and, it, and it start with acknowledging that it exists and that it's real, I think that's when change starts. And I think, uh, like George Floyd was the straw that broke the camel's back once again, but the camel's back's been broken many times. Here's
0: Carson.
10: But uh, I, I think it starts with the individual person, who they are, how they were raised or fed into them. You know, you got to love yourself first. And, you know, I, you know, that's what I think, you know, but it's between rich and poor. You know, if you're poor, you know, the rich kind of take advantage of you. And it's like throwing a bone out there and let the poor people fight over it. And rich people don't care about if you're black or white, not really. They just, you know, just as long as you don't get uh, to where they're at. So it's the rich people I'm talking about. But it's all, uh, it's all a confusion. If you anywhere there's chaos and we we'll say the devil was the author of confusion.
0: And here's Robert. This change thing uh, it's not gonna
11: change. People weren't born racist. This is something that they were taught. It's like I've got this power and I'm gonna keep it. I'm not gonna let that go. You're beneath me, and you're going to stay beneath me. What it's going to take for a change, I have no idea. It's way beyond me. But all the protesting in the world, all the peaceful demonstrating in the world, all the talking in the world, just what it is, just talk. No action. Police aren't going to be held accountable for murder. And that's what it is, murder. And if they're not going to hold them accountable, they're going to keep on murdering Black people. Because they can. Simple as that.
10: They got the law on their side. Nothing Black people can do about it. I believe it starts with the leadership. You know, I'm, I'm, I was thinking about uh, the police department. Uh, you got. I'm, I'm, I'm glad we got the police, you know, because somebody breaking my house or something like that, I'm calling the police. But there's some that don't need to be police. There's ones that do, do their job, and there's one that they, they over uh, compensate or whatever. And they got racism down, I believe. I believe. But what do you do about it? So we were taught not to go to jail so we can get a job. Don't get a police record and go to school and get the education. They can't take that from you, your education, you know. But, uh, uh, like I said, it's, 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 it's up to the individual who they are. Be fair about it, whatever you be. Stand up when you're supposed to stand up. That's what was taught. Insecurity brings fear, you know. And when you got fear, you're something to do anything, you know. So, uh um, you know, it's a misconception by somebody, somebody, some people think, well, we uh, they're going to get all our jobs, you know, and the better man don't get the job. It's just that's that's the way it's supposed to be. You know, if you got you better equipped for the job, you know, you, you can get the job. But that's not so, you uh, know, with blacks, you know, or you noticing know, like we had our, people had our foot on us for a long time. We always have to do even more to prove ourselves on a specific uh, issue, a job, anything, you know. It's uh, just the way it is, you know. Uh, so you just got to adjust the best way you can without going to jail, you know what I mean? It's not
11: just not going to jail now, Carson. It's just trying to stay alive.
10: You ain't kidding. That's right. That's exactly right. You know? I got a son now. He's 30 years old. I Man, you uh, totally stop you, you know, be called to as much as you can or whatever and just do what you're supposed to do. Don't get smart with them, you know, because they, you know, you know what's going on right now. So you got to be very uh, cautious of what you do. And that may not help you. I understand that. I understand that.
0: Many of the individuals we interviewed referred to this as having the Black talk. Here is Lee Barham.
12: When we talk about race and really about race relations, it's always like a, a wink and a nod. Yeah, we hear you. Then go out there and <laughs> beat the hell out of you again. and Like the officer shooting shooting black men in the back. Yeah, we, you know, one month you say, oh, yes, we all out there. We, we believe in you and they dancing in the street. Then give it a month later, somewhere else, the officers going to shot a black man in the back. But see, that goes to... The black talk. If an officer pulls you over, you make sure you don't make no sudden move. You keep your hands on that wheel. You be in compliance no matter what goes on because it's easier to come and get you alive than come and get you
6: dead. I have had that conversation with my sons all black families teach their children that, you know, there's a way that you can behave hopefully to come out safely if stopped by the police. So all parents, uh, all black parents are teaching their kids the drill, you know, don't make sudden moves, keep your hands visible, try not to uh, anger, frustrate, you know, talk back or it's sad that, you know, our kids can't, look forward to a future uh, and just have the regular teenage issues or young adult issues of getting a good job or getting your education, having a fun evening out and uh, you can't wear certain clothes. I mean, it's just it's, it's pretty um, it's sad. It's just sad.
10: i tell you what, I, I've never seen, you know, with the marches and everything, as much White America joining in with the black for protesters. I've never seen as many. And that's the difference. Uh, you know, I, that was just something, uh, that, that was something to me, you know, but uh, I don't know, you know, we just got to hold on anyhow. It's all about what type of spirit you got in you.
11: Stop telling me wait for tomorrow. I said we've been holding on for hundreds of years. They can stop telling me to wait for tomorrow. Wait, wait, wait for what? How long am I supposed to wait? How many people are supposed to die? Are you just a- treat me like a human being. The way you want to be treated. No.
10: Uh, but like I say, sometimes they bring the worst out of you because you get tired of that mess mm-hmm. coming at you all the time. You got to be on the defense, mm-hmm. you know? Oh, here we go again. Here we go. Now I'm going to handle this. Let's be cool. You know what I mean? So like Robert's saying, how long we got to keep doing that,
6: feeling that way? And it has to start at home. So if you're leading in your home and if you're being led in your church and then you, you're steady building into your community, if you can exercise humility, you'll start into humanity and would you know you would treat another person decent you wouldn't drag a person behind a car uh, because they're of the color of their skin but if someone hit a dog you would give them you would send them to prison but you can have a police officer shoot someone seven times in the back and that's different i mean so where's the humility where's the humanity
10: i'm glad i got a chance to see now, at this time, uh, the, the, the Floyd, the case with him, you know, I said, hey, we, we kind of used to seeing certain things back in the day, you know, dogs being put on people and all that kind of stuff, water hoses and all that. And, and I'm glad you guys are getting the chance to see what we saw. It's even worse so now, you know. So just got to stand. Man, this is what it is now. So y'all got to be able to stand because our generation is moving on. So y'all got to have to stand, man. You to stand.
0: For Lee, part of taking the stand is the power and the privilege of the right to vote. As he points out, voting will only bring progress if we can start to look beyond our own best interest and vote for what's best for others, especially those less fortunate than us.
12: When, when we stand with Black Lives Matter and we march and stuff, when we go to the polls, are we voting... that interest you can march with me all day but when you go behind that poll you do not vote for what's best for you instead of what's best for us all if if i feel i'm not going to have my entitlement (laughs) i'll march with you but when it comes down to it we have to get people in there that's going to say okay it's going to be the benefit
10: of everybody
11: And then you think one day you won't have to go through this. but <laughs> You just think that. You just think that. Because every day, every day, I'm still fighting the same problem. Maybe a few little things is lessened up changed a little bit but in essence i'm still fighting the same problem that's all i can do is, is keep on fighting no matter what hand they deal just keep on fighting there's two things in this world that never change that's right and the truth it might take a while for them to come about but they never change
0: In 1963, in an address at Western Michigan University, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, You can't change the heart through legislation. Morality cannot be legislated, but behavior can be regulated. Judicial decrees may not change the heart, but they can restrain the heartless. Yes, we need rules and laws to keep the citizens of our country safe, but laws won't allow us to see past our differences, They won't unite us and they won't create true understanding and respect for one another. That's on us. It's on us as citizens, as community members, as human beings. And it starts by asking questions and by listening. This is about all of us. This episode of Town USA was written and produced by Faye Walker-Taylor and Stephanie Young. Edited by Stephanie Young. Theme music by Will and Janet Buchanan, with additional music by Darren Pierce.
1: We would like to give a special thanks to Robert Armstead, Lee Borham, Carson Ingram, Patricia Ingram, Tanner, Greg, Jalen, and Tahanna O'Briens, David Patterson, Lorenzo Taylor, Joyce Terry and Jamarco Walker.